Welcome birders, this is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. This episode is something new for me. Dorian Anderson, who is my guest on the Bird Banner Podcast episode number five, recommended to me that I have Alvaro Armillo on as a guest. Alvaro is a big name in the birding world. He's written books, he's a well-known uh, birder, uh, guides tours, leads pelagic trips, is an author of both books and chapters in other people's books, and is just someone everybody wants to talk to and know about. Uh, and he agreed to come on as my guest today, and so I'm really excited about that. If you like the Bird Banner podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and if you can, leave a review on the iTunes store. That really is helpful to me, and I'd appreciate that. But here we go with the Bird Panda Podcast, episode number 16, with Alvaro Armillo. Welcome, Alvaro. Uh, Hello, thanks for talking doing? with me today. I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, on the Bird Banner podcast, I try to I try to get uh, birders' stories. It's one of the things I like to do. Uh, and so, I was hoping you could tell us uh, how did you first get interested in birding, and uh, how did that how did your early early days of birding and interest in birds begin? Um, I started out as a as a kid, so you know um, you don't really have much going on. You you know you're you know if you're doing sports or something maybe that's what's keeping you occupied and i i really was uh bored i gotta say that's you know um where i started from a level of boredom and i was up north in canada and okay. at a cottage so we had you know we had lake and canoes and all this stuff and they happen to have a our friends had a bird book and binoculars. So I just thought, okay, I'll do this. You know, I mean, kind of tired of swimming and fishing and all the stuff. Sure. And uh, went out and, you know, looked at a bird and looked it up in the book. And I thought, okay, here it is, you know, this is the one. And, you know, put a name to it. And from there, I just thought, well, you know, if you can do one, you can probably find 20, 30, 40 more. So I just started <laughs> looking for more and it never stopped. Sure. It's still, still happening. So, so your family, so your family had a place, or you had a place to go in near Toronto. Yeah, yeah, north north of Toronto. You know, at that point, probably a four hour drive north, something like that. So okay. it was, you know, loons and forest everywhere. Sure, bears stuff all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Kind of cool. Uh, and uh, so, uh, I, I guess I. I, how did uh, how did uh, interest in uh, tropical birding become a, a focus for you? Well, um, I, I was born in Chile. So oh, okay. what I did, you know, in Canada, you, at that time, when I was going to high school, you could take all of your credits early, you know, just sort of really front load everything. And then you could get out of school early, kind of graduate mm -hmm. early. So that's right. what I did. Uh, and I thought I'd go and I saved up money and I'd go to Chile to go visit my family and also look for birds. Right. But the uh, the cool thing is at that point in time, the cheapest airline that could get me from Toronto to, to Santiago was a Paraguayan airline <laughs> that probably doesn't <laughs> even exist anymore. You know, it was really, sure. it was sort of uh yeah. I remember even then the plane was old looking, you know, so. And it, it, uh, but you had to stop in, in Asuncion in Paraguay. And I thought, okay. well, I'll do that, you know, and, and I looked in the map and I realized it was, it was only 
you know, a few hundred kilometers from Iguazu Falls. Okay. And I knew people who had been to Iguazu Falls. So I asked them, so what, you know, how does this work? Do you just sort of, uh, you know, can you just go there and watch birds and you don't have to worry about, you know, jaguars or anything, you know? And I mean, I had no <laughs> idea. Sure. And, you know, are there like poisonous snakes everywhere? And they said, no, no, you know, they're parks and you can, you can walk around and, you know, um, go and watch birds. So that's what I did. I, I went and did this stopover in, in Paraguay for a couple of weeks and then mm -hmm. went uh, to Iguazu Falls. And in fact, in that little visit, visited three countries. So it was Paraguay, Argentina, and, and Brazil, and mostly okay. Northern Argentina. And uh, it was pretty cool because there were no, no field guides at all. Um, yeah, I know really, there weren't. You know, that functioned. So I, I was using this, you know, um, book called Birds of South America. They just had little descriptions. There was a couple of books. You just had a little description, you know, so you had to mm -hmm. figure out if you saw a flycatcher, you know, and oh goodness, it would yeah. say olive above, you know, olive below. Olive tail, olive head. You know? <laughs> yeah. kind of that describes forty out. of them. Yeah, and what was really great is you, you know, you got through so many of these these little um, blurbs on the birds that you almost started thinking like the author. And when when they said something like, you know, uh, I don't know, instead of olive, they said, you know, green. You you mm -hmm. really knew what that meant. <laughs> Uh -huh. You know that, it, and you could see the it in difference the field, between like, olive and green. Yes. Yeah, and you're like, okay, I, this one's green. This isn't olive. You know, I mean, and you, you sort of it was all codified in this way that once you'd read enough of them, you could f actually figure out what some of these birds were. Some of them were easy. You know, um, they were really colorful things, but a lot of these other flycatchers, um, it and the puzzle of figuring them out and, you know, had a little recorder, you know, sort of a little hand recorder. I would record mm -hmm. the birds and, and then it's, it's funny, but, you know, eventually I was able to even listen to some of those old recordings and realize, you know, knowing what I know now, I knew what the bird was from the sound. Right. You know, today right. and, and realize that some of my identifications were actually correct <laughs> back then. <laughs> Gosh, so, congratulations. Yeah, I know. So it, it was a, this element of, you know, it was, it was a little crazy. I mean, I was a teenager, I was, you know, hitchhiking, you know, getting to Argentina, to Iguazu Falls, seeing all these cool places and, yeah. you know, with very little money and just, you know, eating whatever was, was available that was cheap and just birding all day. And, you know, if, if I could getting out at night, although it was actually, that was quite difficult in those days to, to get out at night because I was, I bet it was know, sitting, you know, I would, I'd have to go back into town, you know, to, to sleep. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, it got me thinking of just discovery and this, you know, this sort of, you were out in places where at that point, not many people were birding and you're really sort of at, if the book doesn't exist that has all these, you know, no field guide even exists. It was, it was exciting. I thought, you know, I was lucky to be this essentially a kid doing this. And, um, that's where I kind of got hooked on the, on the tropical birding, you know, and the travel and the, the idea that, that discomfort at, you know, at least early on, it was not comfortable. It's comfortable now sure. when I travel, 
that yeah. you know you learned a lot about yourself and you were put into situations that were sometimes complicated and not just in the birds but in trying to get from one place to the other or encountering people who were you know sometimes a little shady and <laughs> you had to sort of figure out <laughs> what to do and yeah, that I, whole, bet, I bet you have stories to tell yeah yeah it was it was it was it was fun i kind of got hooked as as sort of a a lifestyle of travel from uh-huh. from early on when i was a teenager and you know it was it was great that the canadian system had a way that you could kind of make time to do this between high school and university so uh-huh. So, so you took a number, and how long did you take between high school and going to university to sort of uh, scratch your birding itch and and uh, explore? I, I think I was, I think I was traveling for about three or four months, maybe, okay. yeah, several months. So quite a while, but uh, yeah. not years or anything like that. No, no. Okay. Uh, so you, but you were pretty much a self-starter. It sounds like were there people in your life that that were mentors or gave encouragement? Oh yeah, I mean there were a lot of birders in 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 Ontario and in 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 um, Toronto, you know, as well that would would uh, you know take us places because there were there were actually several of us who were teen birders, you know, and um, specifically, you know, there's two other good friends who were living in the Toronto area, and we'd go, you know, we'd go to Point Pelee every every weekend in May, and we always had a ride. You know, because somebody um, no. would, one of the adults kind of would say, hey, you know, got to take these kids out because they're, they're really into this and so forth. And, and I think, you know, we, we probably were pretty, you know, we were pretty serious about it. So we also sometimes even spotted a good bird or two. So there was a benefit <laughs> to having I'm us sure. around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I always love having a young set of eyes and ears and information to go birding with me. They find great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> It's a huge, huge plus. So yeah, there was a so, good number of birders who, you know, who who helped us out, you know, just and they're they're still friends, you know. I mean, some of the adults were who were adults then, um, we still communicate and keep in touch and so forth. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so then you went to university. Did you study ornithology or what did you major in? Um, Evolutionary biology. So it, okay. it was initially sort of a degree in zoology, and then with a spe- specialization in in evolution and behavior. So I mm-hmm. actually never took a um, an ornithology course. I've never actually studied birds <laughs> in, in school. <laughs> so, <laughs> studied you know, every, every other which way, but not in school, huh? Yeah, that's right. I, I figured. I mean, I learned most of the stuff in the field about what was what and how they, you know the the main aspects of ornithology so i was instead taking entomology classes and ichthyology anything else there was other creatures that i could learn more um than you know in a, in a sense maximize the amount of knowledge that i could get from i'm sure i'm sure that's led to a world well-rounded naturalist uh, the the perfect tour guide yeah i mean <laughs> They always could know more, but at least I've got a good foundation on on a lot of the stuff, you know. So it's and it's fun. I like to look at butterflies and newts, crocodiles, whatever, <laughs> whatever's around. Whatever you can see, yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. So that that, that kind of aimed you in the direction of a career in you know, in biologic sciences, I guess, of sort of some sort. Uh, how did your per- career progress from there? Um. So, you know. It, it, 
I think you have like the real successful scientists are are a, a really interesting set of people, and they're a varied you know set of people, but they all have incredible focus, right? They know that they have to uh, kind of encounter uh, a lot of challenges in learning how to make an experiment or to do things in the field or to write up papers. And, you know, they sort of, they know all these challenges are coming up and they sort of bit by bit kind of go up this ladder of, of, of uh, progress and they, they keep focus, you know, and, I, you know, in fact, if I, if you put me together with sort of some of these successful scientists who might've been, you know, my contemporaries and some of them are my friends, I didn't have the focus in the same way. My focus was always broad, you know, I didn't, I had a broad view of things rather than sort of like trying to, to get further and further down a specific little, um, way of, you know, trying to understand the world. I was, I was really focused in how much time I spent in the field and doing things and so forth. But in a sense, I wasn't the good mind, you know, and sort of to be a scientist in today's world, I was, I would probably have been a really great scientist in the 1800s, you know, when yeah, one of the being Renaissance of a, men who were did everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> I kind of started getting that sense, you know, at at some point. So I was really great at generating ideas and mm-hmm. sorting out interesting questions, I, but I wasn't necessarily good at drilling down through every single one of the elements you had to do to sort of figure out what the answer to that question, and you right. know, and I got really frustrated when my experiments or the things that I was working on didn't work. And I started sometimes thinking, you know, maybe the theory that I'm trying to prove is completely wrong. And that's not necessarily what you, the, the professors, you know, like, because often it's their theory. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I, it, yeah. I, so you I was a chemistry of, major in college. Like I have a, yeah, some memories of that, that if it didn't fit their theory, they didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> right. And so you can kind of get to the the point where, I, you know, my point here is that I I realized that I had this love for nature and this, you know, um, uh, you know, but it didn't fit really into the world of academia in the, in the, per, in the way that it, you know, mm-hmm. needed to, for me to be a successful academic, even though all my life, Ever since I was a kid and became a birder, I thought I would become, you know, a professional academic ornithologist, yeah. You know, at a university. So there was this point uh, where I was, uh, I'd done a master's, you know, my master's, and then I was on my PhD for a couple of years, and I started writing a book in my spare time. Mm -hmm. And this is a problem because if you're doing a PhD, you shouldn't have any spare time. Right, yes, right, <laughs> and you shouldn't be doing something—a major project that is separate from what you're supposed to be focusing on. You should be pretty focused. You yeah. should be pretty focused. So I, I started this book on on the New World blackbirds, the Icterids. Right, I saw you have that published. So it yeah. was a successful undertaking. Yeah, it was, <laughs> didn't it was, lead to the PhD you were studying for. It sounds no. like though. <laughs> no. And and it's exactly what happened. Is it, it, I think if you had you know you sat me down on a on a couch with a therapist or something, they 
they would, you know, get get the real story. What what it was is that I really felt like I didn't want to do my PhD, and I didn't really feel it was a worthwhile endeavor that I was doing. But I was kind of stuck, and I didn't know what to do. That was so instead, p- I you were headed down that pathway, so and it was hard to get out of. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I and so I created this other path um, for me, and I knew that the whole to me at even at that point where I, I I knew a little bit more about how things work to me that a PhD was sort of put yourself in a situation that you're going to do something that you is going to be big, new, and really complicated, so that you you come out of it a different person than you came in. You you kind of amass all of these skills that are that you just cannot do unless you're doing a big big project and mm-hmm. my book actually became that project so i left my phd and i finished my book and for i feel like you know i kind of traded equals even though perhaps in in sort of work wise you know it wasn't the right thing to do in some people's minds you know because i'd sort of gone and done this <laughs> separate completely you know um, different endeavor that didn't necessarily get me anywhere, right? You know, you can write yeah, a book. It got you. It got you where you ended up. That you well, that's what life is. You know, that's life right. Is a in, bunch of we make our choices and we live with the consequences. That's yeah, the way and it, it works. In, in the end, exactly. It's it's the kind of thing that hindsight. It's like exactly what I, what I needed to do. Um, but at the point, at that point, you're thinking, oh man, you know, I'm just. I'm really screwing up here, you know, <laughs> leaving, <laughs> leaving a PhD with a very successful lab with people doing brilliant work. And, you know, I'm going to go write this book. I'm going to write a book about blackbirds. Yeah. yeah. Like why blackbirds? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, actually I think there's, but you know, as far as American birds are probably the most interesting birds we have. They just aren't always showy. They're sometimes are showy, yes. but Some as far are. as behavior, yeah. they're really, really amazing. So I, I I kind of clued into that part. I like them because they they had all of this context things going on that you know birds like warblers don't. I mean warblers kind of look good. They have beautiful songs and so forth, but there's not much else going on as far as you know crazy behavior. Maybe some really good migration stories, but they're yeah. all in the blackbirds too. I mean bobolink probably beats all the sure. warblers hands down as far as the migration. Yeah. <laughs> but it goes a know, long ways. Yeah. So far but, it has to molt twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I I still I have I have a talk. I used to, you know, I gotta revamp this talk where I, I basically argue that blackbirds are about the most interesting birds we have and nobody really cares about them. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I I, uh, I went to uh Belize and uh, had a had a guide there for a half a day and I asked him what his favorite bird was. Yes, I saw this wonderful bird. It was a red winged blackbird. I'd never seen it before because <laughs> it yeah. showed up in Belize and he was just fascinated by this wonderful bird and made me chuckle. But oh yeah, <laughs> no, it's uh, I mean in a lot of people, it's one of the first birds they see is red winged blackbird. And they can't believe sure. that something like that exists. And then, then it, they become birders and they very quickly start thinking it's common. Therefore, it's not worth looking at, which is a problem. You know, I think uh, sure. birding, and not everybody does this, but we, we're we so seeking novelty that we forget that you can actually see new things by looking at the very same things that we were comfortable with and we see all the time. In fact, you probably learn more 
daily by looking at common birds and you learn as a birder from looking at rare birds, but we're always interested in the rare birds because they're rare. It's human nature to want <laughs> yeah. the next, the next best thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you wrote your book and, and where did things go from there? Oh, it was, it was kind of interesting. You know, every, a lot of things sort of, um, followed through at that point. I also started teaching a class locally on, um, you know, birds in, I was in Vancouver so it was, you know, through one of the colleges or something like that. And mm-hmm. and I met this person who was retired and he wanted to start a bird watching tour company. Oh, okay. And, and he says, Hey, why don't you do the first tour? Why don't you lead the first tour? And I said, Okay, you know, and um that company, he, you know, sort of I was the first guide and and you know, I got I got some of my friends involved and then eventually had all of these trips, the man, Vic Smith, he sold it and it's still, it's still out there. It's called Eagle Eye Tours in Canada. Oh, I've seen that. Yes. So it's, it's, it's odd, but you know, I was the very first guide and in fact planned all of the initial tours that, that Eagle Eye did. Um, Did you focus on uh, an area? Where would, where did you take groups to with them? The first, the first couple were British Columbia and Alberta. And then, so local, yeah. And then we branched out to Chile and you know Ecuador. Just it actually mm-hmm. branched out very quickly to international trips, and so that some of the first international trips I was on on those as well, you know, and really learned to tour and to lead these tours on my own or with friends. You know, we we weren't mm-hmm. we didn't have any more we didn't have people who were more experienced than we were. So we we kind of learned on the go and that was that was interesting it was probably not the easiest way to do it you know and and sometimes we'd have very experienced tour tour participants who'd say you know you guys you guys are going to be pretty good tour tour guides but at this point in time this is what you should think about doing <laughs> you know they would give us tips you know so, <laughs> yeah and probably more the, on how how to run a tour than how to find a bird sure y- yeah and and uh, separate I, skill sets right and the thing is that uh, at that point, Eagle Eye Tours, those early trips were actually sort of probably quite moderately priced, you know, so people kind of knew they weren't, you know, they, they were getting, there's a trade-off there, but so it was the perfect situation to learn. And then eventually I, uh, from that tour leading, you know, I, I, friends I had and people I'd met at field guides in, they, they sort of started talking to me about whether I wanted to work with them. And I thought, wow, you know, this is like top of the line company. This is like the big big leagues, you know, this is like going Mm -hmm. from regional airline to international airline, you know? (laughs) Right. So uh, that was great. And I learned a lot from many years working at field guides and in touring Mm -hmm. and eventually started my own tour company. So left and and went on my own. But uh-huh. in between all that, I still kept doing books and teaching classes. And every so often I would get a little biological project, you know, so I've, I've kept my finger on science and the science that I actually can do, given that I'm not at a university and not, right. you know, I don't have lab equipment or whatever. And in particular, often I've been interested in taxonomy you know how birds are related to each other and so forth so okay i've been 
working on projects of that kind, but you know, all, all my sort of science is done in my spare time. So it's, it's kind of, I'm a hobby scientist in a sense. <laughs> for Very the nice. Most part. That's, yeah. that's great. Take advantage of your training and still, still uh, do field stuff primarily. Good yeah. for you. Uh, so you, you uh, wrote the book on birds of Chile. Uh, yeah, yeah. Birds of Chile, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. And so obviously at least one of the countries now has a first rate field guide. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, actually, most of them do now. I, yeah. I, I was going to yeah, say things pretty have changed much all, so much. Almost all, yeah. Things have yeah. changed so much. So there are really good guides to almost everywhere now. Yeah. So, so that's great. Uh, but uh, where do, do you lead a lot of your tours? Or do you have uh, other co-leaders or other leaders? So how does, uh, how does uh, Alvaro Adventures work? Well, I, I lead a lot of the tours, you know, and uh, I have other colleagues lead, you know, trips as well. Dorian Anderson is is a person who's, you know, he's uh, leaving next month to do a trip in Colombia. In cool. The yeah, I, I met I met Dorian uh, uh, shortly after his biking big year and uh, had him on as a guest a little while ago. That's how yeah. I uh, was hooked up with you. So that's that's nice. Yeah. And, you know, Dorian, Peter Burke is a friend who's also, you know, he last year he did a trip to Nicaragua before things kind of went a little haywire politically in Nicaragua. And um, I'm growing, you know, the number of people um, slowly uh, that that are working directly on tours with me. And and uh, but there's a whole team of people that work as local guides or, you know, guides Mm -hmm. in country. So. Yes, in fact, that can be I, really good safety thing and just local knowledge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's a very important aspect of of touring for me because I've I've also been involved in training birding guides in Colombia and Belize and Guatemala and different places. And the idea you were one of the big leaders in the Audubon uh, process, which had didn't Audubon undertake a yeah. South and Central American initiative to bring up local exactly. talent. Yeah, exactly. And I was, I was deeply involved and, and still am, you know, in, in that process. And one of the things that is key is key is that tours have to, you know, for them to not just be about recreation, but actually impacting birds in a positive way and local people in a positive way, they right. have to involve local people in, in the, you know, guiding and in the hotels and in the driving, all of these things that where you can earn money uh, right. from this international tourism and it, they have to be involved. And, and the smaller the community that we can go to and make an impact, the greater the impact that's going to happen. Because, you know, if, if we bring our tour, you know, and we stay in Cali, Colombia, that's a big city. You know, there's people coming in there for many reasons. We just get, sure. you know, we're just one drop of the, many the tourists, right? But if we go yeah. to a little, you know, mom and pop type hotel that's right, you know, in the forest and they are keenly aware that birders are, are out there and they want them to come there and we're part of that whole process, those people then suddenly, you know, uh, their, their economy uh, grows. and they know it's because of the forest. They know it's because of the birds. So the entire mentality of, of conservation becomes uh, 
part of their business in a sense. Sure. You know? They have a good reason to good reason exactly. to not cut down the forest and grow corn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is sort of part of the where you know I do think that that tourism is an important key in conservation. And I know, you know, some people say, oh, you know, but those flights and the global warming and the thing, you know, but if you put it all together, um, it, I you think know, that it, it's a it big net, net plus. benefit. Yeah. Net, net benefit. benefit. I, th- I agree. I and, agree. You know, people, if, people if, are going to travel. They might as well travel for a good cause. You know? Right. Right. And, you know, there's also a great big focus on global warming as this massive problem. And it is. But for most birds, the real problem right now is habitat destruction. Exactly. Um, and that's often independent of global warming. So, you know, if you if you can slow down that that part or at least, you know, make it so that there's benefits to maintaining forest patches or marsh or whatever the uh, habitat, you know, grassland, um, you're you're doing something and the benefits of all of this tourism are, are are positive not only on the birds but on the local people and it's important to have that be an element of it because then you really do get that situation that we could call a win-win where the birds are getting the benefits of conservation the local people are getting the benefits of uh, economic development and the birders coming in from another country are getting the benefits of seeing these birds staying at these places having great food and meeting the local people so you it you know it, it really is um i think uh, one of the key tools in in preserving birds and it's it's tourism and to go it's see the birds tourism themselves. and habitat for sure yeah. yeah if the if the people there have a reason to preserve the habitat they're going to be more likely to do so than if it, they can be better off by cutting down the forest and growing corn or sorghum or whatever yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah so that's that's uh great so it sounds like you've been really involved with uh developing a network of local guides and local resources for the birding ecotourism industry uh through audubon's efforts and others uh can you give any stories that illustrate that? Uh, you know, people, local guides that have been impacted, or kind of make that a little more personal. Um, yeah. Um, well, there's one of the the people who I met. You know, um, is is um, up in the north, um, and if you can sort of, and this is in Colombia. Mm-hmm. If you can sort of imagine the very far north, near the the border with with Venezuela, and there's a sort of a, a desert zone there, and they, hmm. there's a peninsula called the Wajira Peninsula, and they have a, a lagoon in that area that has you know flamingos and so forth. But it's dry forest, and dry forest is you know among the different types of forest in Latin America, it's one of the most endangered because it's very easy to to cut down it's not you know it's shorter and uh firewood and all these other uses for it and then degrade it and run goats through it and so forth so dry forest is was actually one of the um um habitat types that the audubon project in in northern colombia was trying to preserve and up there you know um there's a 
a group of people who you know have been involved in in showing people the the flamingos you know so there's always been a little bit of a nature thing going on and among those uh, there was this guy Jose Luis Puchina mm-hmm. and he's a a local native i mean not only a native of colombia but he's a you know fully before, you know, before the spaniards American. came native, yes <laughs> yeah. okay and and he you know he lives there with his his people and you know his they're very proud people they they make um some of those colorful baskets you know uh, that that you know you sometimes see from colombia and they're called the the wayu and right the the great thing about Jose Luis is that he he's you know the kind of person that I think anywhere else he would be you know if he had grown up in New York City he'd be you know running some big business <laughs> you know what I mean just smart energetic organized ambitious yes <laughs> exactly but he also you know so he saw there were some birders coming in every so often with a local a guide from the city of Santa Marta this was a few years ago right. and then he sort of said oh look at this is this is going on so he would actually kind of come in and hang out and say oh i know where you find that red bird it's over here and he would show them you know and he started becoming kind of the local go to person when when any of these and at that point it was very few birding trips would come through there Mm-hmm. And he started getting a little bit more involved. And then, you know, by the time we we arrived with Audubon, he was already, you know, he had binoculars and he was, you know, uh, really knew his birds. But he was able to take this this whole training and and the increased number of people to a higher level. And he's become, you know, just the local expert. Of, of birds there and, you know, getting great photographs, knows where to find everything. But one of the interesting things where it's very different from if we were dealing with somebody maybe running a corporation in New York City, right. is that he said part of the, the key here was that he wanted to teach anybody in his community how to do this. And he thought that mm-hmm. anybody could do this. Everybody could learn English, learn the birds, you know all of these things because you you have to know you know you have to learn English. Um, yeah, and they already know two languages. Uh, you know their local language and Spanish and so Spanish. Sure, one. You know that's just uh, why not. And the the thought for him was you know so I've done well economically from this, and it would be immoral for me you know for Jose Luis to not teach the local people and his, you know, relatives and friends and so forth, how to do this. Right. And I thought this was really amazing because, you know, the way often we are in our society is if you have a skill or something. Yeah, that's jealously guard it. Guard <laughs> jealously it, right? guard it, yes. You don't, you don't share it. You don't tell people how to do it. But he was completely the opposite. And I thought, wow, you know, I mean, this is where a different culture is, is you know, doing its thing, you know, and. He's probably a gotten, different culture, a special person too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so he's he's done quite well. He's been able to help train, so he's become a trainer himself. Train local people. Mm-hmm. They've been able to get you know um, women involved as well, which is very important. And in many places, as, as you know, all over the world, there's not as many opportunities for women to to work. Uh, but for sure, bird, bird guiding is is a 
especially being a local guide where you don't necessarily have to travel long distances is a perfect job for women, for anybody. Really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But you know, they, they can use their local knowledge and 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 you know earn some money, which you know, and doing something that's easier than weaving baskets, you know. <laughs> so, and and hopefully more lucrative. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I thought that was, you know, that was great. I I always think he's, you know, uh, an incredible person to have been able to not only pick this up even before Audubon got there, but then when Audubon got there, he was able to squeeze all that he could from this process and incorporate a big number of people. So it was yeah, really, he's he's really a cool. big uh, poster boy for that uh, for yeah. that uh, whole process. Good for good for him and good for you. That sounds like a great. Uh, Great success story and uh, just a cool, cool thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so what's coming up for you? You said you're headed off on a on a speaking trip. What what uh, what do you see for uh, uh, for uh, Alvaro Aramio uh, in the near future? What what are your plans? Um. Well, I'm in, in on Wednesday, so in a few days, I'm I'm going to Brazil, where there's a mm-hmm. massive uh, bird fair called Avistar, and and I'm going to go and give a talk, uh, you know, about birding and so forth. But mm-hmm. I'm really keen on seeing Brazil again. And actually, I haven't been to Brazil since I was a teenager, since that original oh trip. So it's one of the big, you know, missing spots in my travel. <laughs> yeah. And but I'm really keen on on interacting with a lot of. The, the local birders because Brazilian birders uh, bird a lot by camera. So they, they're photographers primarily. Mm-hmm. And then they yes. sort of birder as we match know after. It in, yeah. in a different way. So I want to see right. how that all works. And that, you know, that's a, a growing trend, even locally, young birders just see if, you know, 15, 17 year old, they don't have binos. They just have a long, long lens camera and they see birds and take a picture. And, oh, that's yeah. what that is. It's, and they're incredibly good at picture identification. Yeah. I think it's so much easier to identify a bird when you can see it and see what it's doing and all that instead of just looking at the feathers. So yeah. It's a, it's a different, different technique. Exactly. So I'm, I'm yeah. Interested in seeing that, you know, how it, and interacting with Brazilian birders and also some international names that are, going to be there and then you know come back here for for a few days and then i go to south africa for my first trip in africa again in many years and my first time in south africa so and that's a cool trip because um it's a birding and wine so we we go birding we also taste the local specialty wines from various different you know very nice uh, wineries and we we pioneered the whole birds and wine trip uh, in Chile, you know, so we've, we've been doing mm-hmm. that for almost, almost 10 years now. I mean, and uh, so now we're expanding to birds and wine and other places. You can imagine, you know, I mean, before you know it, we'll be in New Zealand and Australia. <laughs> sure. If they make wine and they've got birds, you can go there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, you know. Yeah, have to, have to the, do a Bordeaux and. <laughs> right. Then, you know, I think. Scotland and whiskey is going to be another one. That, our that our could Cuba work. trips have a lot of rum flowing through them. So, you uh, know. The cigars, yeah, Cuba <laughs> yeah. and cigars, maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> so. and it, it does get to a little bit of my philosophy on on bird touring that you know that I think uh, bird tourism is a way to see the world, and birds are your your reason that you're there. You sort of see the world through birds, but the real mm-hmm. reason you're there is not just the birds. You want to eat the food, you know, and you want to experience the country, experience and the culture, the country, and everything. Sure, meet people. So it, I I have sort of a a broad more open-minded view of birding tourism. Uh, you know, I'm definitely not the kind of company that's like, come with us and, you know, we'll be birding all day, all night, and all we'll do is bird. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I want a um, a little bit more balanced, well, you know, well-rounded type of trip. Right. Even though, so we're birding 70% of the time, <laughs> you know, still mm-hmm. a lot, but uh, that, yeah, that's, we're that's, incorporating But there's an occasional things. daylight hour or after daylight hour that's not taken up with birding and sleep. Yeah. 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 I mean, people, people want to have social time and. Um, yeah. I and think there's room well. for all of those niches in the birding tourism market, the yeah. hardcore, you know, balls to the wall birding and the, and the, uh, you know, cultural trip with a couple of birds and the a, probably a significant niche for the pretty hard birding, but make sure you smell the roses too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's. Or taste the wine. <laughs> right. I think it's also a lot, it's really pleasant, you know, type of travel. Um, I mentioned, you know, er, early on in my travel, there was a lot of discomfort mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you're just trying to get to places that are hard to get to or. Right, you know, and 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 you're, and sleeping wherever you can get a bed, and often for the cheapest, you know, right cost. It's that's uh that was cool to do when I was you know seventeen, and eighteen, yeah. twenty. Yeah. But now you know I feel like you're like um, a pillow and a mattress now. Yeah. yeah. Pillow and a mattress, and also as I said, the net benefits economically of of doing trips like this. Sure, are are great. Higher for the local economy. Yeah, yeah. They bring right. bring more uh, bring more U.S. dollars or whatever dollars to the to the local economy is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's so that's that's what's in store for me. So a little bit of travel, and then as soon as summer, you know, comes in, uh, we. We uh, roll into sort of the uh, what we the pelagic season, so that's when we right. I know you have a, a pelagic company. Uh, are you going to be one of? The, I, I heard that Shearwater Journeys is kind of calling it quits. Uh, are you going to be expanding to take up some of that slack? Or well, I mean, we've we've always sort of um, been, we've been growing actually for for years now. You know, so adding a few trips and different ports over the years, and mm-hmm. we'll just sort of see how it goes. You know, if the demand is there, we'll definitely. I would expect uh, that it will be increase. Yeah. You know, the the number of trips, but I I really don't know. You know, I I I don't know if if you know our competitors are really stopping or not, and you know, I, I kind of uh, keep I, that, I, that. You know, that's not necessarily my know. planning. Because I just sort of, you know, focus on what's going on with us right now and take care of your own business. Sure. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, there's also colleagues, you know, that do trips in Monterey, the Monterey Bay Seabirds. Mm-hmm. Who, right. You know, we work with them um, on, on trips and Redwood Regional Ornithological Society does trips out of Bodega. And so we work with mm-hmm. them. They do like three trips and two of them are, you know, with us. So we, we've collaborated a lot with various pelagic operators and um, hope that, you know, 
all of us can, um, if we have to kind of pop in with a few more trips and, uh, and, um, you know, keep, keep continue. the, keep the, meet the demand. Pelagic right. birding is really fun. I mean, it's yeah. great. I, yeah, we have Westport seabirds up here. It does a great job. And I, I've had a chance. I went out on, I think one trip out of Monterey and two or three out of San Diego. And yeah, I can't wait to get to the East coast and maybe, maybe <laughs> South right. America and Antarctic and places like that. But uh, do right. you, uh, do you incorporate pelagic uh, trips into any of your Chilean trips or? Uh, yeah. You know, Chile is actually one of the best places to, to do pelagics anywhere. So on, on our trips, we tend to have sort of two, two major pelagics and then two ferry, ferry crossings okay. in, in, in Chile. And then the South Africa trip will also have a day, a pelagic day um incorporated and uh even when we did spain we we actually made sure we we crossed over to morocco so we could see some and and do a little whale watching excursion mm-hmm. too so I, i'm i'm always keen on adding a bit of a a boat trip to any any trip that i'm on uh with you know with with the understanding what? that some people just don't like boats and we often give them sure. a chance to stay back if they they want to mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah but it's such a you know most of our world is ocean uh so yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna be there might as well get on the ocean if you can right yeah that's very nice very nice yeah definitely okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to it this you know the the pelagic season so and you know dorian's that, you know one of our lo- local guides as well on on, right. the, on many of those trips and we have a you know an extended network of local birders who who come out and and spot and help and we're we incorporate also young young birders who we invite we try to invite one or two teen birders on each trip so that they can get experience for you. Out, you know and and you know as as you said they often are spotting some of the best birds you know one of the best birds we saw last year was a horn horn puffin you know we see tough oh, puffins yeah here, but horn sure it was a big deal and that is you know and it was uh jonah um benningfield who's you know one of the young birders he he saw it fly by and he took a picture of it and he comes running over, you know, with the camera and he's, you know, pointing at the back of the camera and he's like, look at this, you know, he knew exactly what it was, but he was so excited. Sure. And I said, where'd you see that? He said, it just flew by. So we, we went looking around and we found it eventually on the water. Good for you. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's really, you know, it, it, it does seem like, wow, aren't they nice to let these teen birders on board? But, you know, it's oh, actually really. There's, there's, there's benefits <laughs> now benefit. and later. It's yeah. not all delayed uh, delayed uh, satisfaction <laughs> with that. You get some immediate benefits for right. sure. It's always, uh, always sharp young eyes always help. Yeah, you know, we're, minds. we're getting, you know, a little bit more deaf and blind every day. But, you know, so yeah. you have to incorporate the good ears you. and the good eyes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So, Alvaro, if people want to get a hold of you, how how would they reach out? How would they find out about Alvaro Adventures and what's going on, or take advantage of your services? Well, we we have a web page. It's alvarosadventures.com, all all one word, okay. and it's A L V A R O. And also, we have um, um, Facebook site. You know, Alvaro's Adventures on Facebook, and I'm on Facebook as well. Okay. Um, I'll make sure I put those things in the podcast notes so people can find them. That's great. Terrific. So I'm sure you're always looking for customers for your uh, tours. Uh, do your tours tend to fill up like months and months in advance or do people yeah, still so, have a chance of, of them, getting on some in the next few months? Yeah, some of them do fill up 
way ahead. And then sometimes we just have sort of a blip where we, you know, trips that will fill up constantly, you know, consistently suddenly have openings. We, you know, we actually have openings for Galapagos that's coming up in July. Uh, oh, so, okay. So um, that July, yeah, July. And so that's, it's always, you know, it's always, always um, worth some checking. people think, yeah, some people think, oh, you know, surely he doesn't have spots yet, but sometimes you just do right till the got, very end. You got to check. You yeah. got to check. <laughs> good, good. Well, that's great, Avril. I want to say thank you so much for coming on my uh, podcast today. It's really fun to talk with you and get to know a little bit about your story. Uh, are there any last thoughts you want to uh, pass on to people? Shout outs to anything important to you or? Uh, I, I guess I would end with just a couple of general thoughts. Um, sure, I'd love uh, that. One of the things is people worry a lot about what they should be doing, especially if they start are starting birding. You know, what should I do? What should I buy? What should where right. should I go? Who should I hang up? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That's all that matters. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of binocular you have or where you're spending your time if it's all in your backyard and you're having a good time you're doing the birding the right way that's the whole point so have a good time and you know i i would also um say that um it's it's important to to um think about the birds themselves and conservation issues and things that you know might you know even just locally like your backyard um it you can plant things or do the you know a tree or something that just makes habitat you know and it doesn't have to be you know buying a piece of forest in the amazon it can be right in your backyard so sort of you know if if these birds are giving you the benefits of 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 happiness you know try to do something for them as well whatever way you can and also just try to get somebody else interested in birding because i am i am I am really convinced the more I think about it, that birding is a way to save the world and not only save the world, to save people, to make people feel healthier, feel better about themselves, to be out in nature and watching birds is much better than a lot of things that they could be doing with their time. And it adds to other things. Like you can you can be golfing and birding. You can be walking and birding. You can actually, you know, bird as you drive, which, you know, people do it, but it's, it's not safe. But, you know, you can yeah, see cool absolutely. stuff anywhere. I, <laughs> so. You're totally right. You're totally right. I, used to, I tell people I used to hate to go to the beach. The idea of laying in the sand and trying not to get sunburned, I just couldn't imagine anything worse. And now, gosh, being at the beach is great. There's birds yeah. to see. You can do a sea watch. It's always right. good. It's always an added plus. So, yeah, you know, do something for the birds enjoy birds, and then get somebody else interested in birds. That's what I'd say. <laughs> That's three great pieces of advice. Thank you so much for being on the Bird Banner podcast, uh, Avra. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll uh, send anyone who asks your way. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me on. It was real fun. I appreciate it. Take care. Have a good All day. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Bird Banner podcast, episode number 16 with Alvaro Aramillo. You can find links in the podcast notes to Alvaro's website and some of the things he talked about. I appreciate you listening. Until next time, good birding, good day.